Welcome back to Insights Now. I'm David Kelly, Chief Global Strategist here at JP Morgan Asset Management. While the broader economy has remained resilient this year, the real estate sector has faced its fair share of headwinds. Higher mortgage rates and home prices have weighed on the residential sector. Tighter lending conditions following the regional banking crisis have created a challenging backdrop for commercial real estate. Additionally, it remains unclear whether pandemic-induced disruptions are merely road bumps in the longer-term landscape or the beginnings of a new regime within real estate. For today's episode, I'm joined by Dave Ezrick, a portfolio manager in our Real Estate Americas group, who will share his thoughts on the trajectory of real estate and discuss what opportunities he finds interesting. Also, if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, you can now watch along on YouTube by tuning into our JP Morgan Asset Management channel, linked to the slow notes. Now, let's get started. Dave, welcome to Insights Now. Thank you. So let's, let's sort of start with a broad question. What is the state of commercial real estate right now? Right, so uh, we're uh, in an interesting uh, uh, time right now. So after extremely strong uh, growth during 2021 and early 2022, uh, we, we've seen pricing in the market uh, come off uh, rather sharply. So we're down about 15%. And that's really due to the rise in interest rates but also a deceleration we're seeing in operating performance uh, on the property side. So, for example, in multifamily, we've seen rent growth go from about 15% down to about 0%. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, that's something we've seen kind of across the board. Now, office has been uh, very differentiated from the rest of the commercial property market. We've seen office week really since 2020 due to the work from home phenomenon, but we, we do see a call back into the office uh, continuing. And as a consequence, consequence, we see going forward a bit of an increase in in-office activities, uh, but we don't think we're going to get back uh, to the 2019 level anytime soon. And of course, that's opened up the question. A lot of people have asked about converting office space into residential real estate space. So what do you think about that? Right, so that's uh, something people are talking about a lot, and it's it's actually uh, gotten a little pushback from people in the industry who think uh, it's it is very expensive. And so, just to step back and talk about sort of the opportunity uh, and and the problem here, we have across the country uh, only two and a half percent vacancy across all uh, housing. Uh, in so in in the U.S., so that's uh, housing for rent and housing for sale. Uh, and so if you can convert a fair amount of office into residential, you're really killing two birds with one stone. Mm-hmm. You're, you're obviously, you're helping the housing issue uh, and you're, you're ameliorating uh, the problem of, of uh, a too much office stock, especially in, in America's downtowns. Uh, the challenge has been the, the expense of the conversions, but I, I would argue that a substantial sort of share of the cost of converting from from office to residential is actually due to regulatory issues and not due uh, to actual kind of physical changes. And, and a, an example of that is there is a legal requirement that the uh, windows and residences be operable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really based on sort of old uh, sensibilities about, around fresh air that really don't uh, apply today. You really don't need to open a window up on the 30th floor of a building. I'd be scared if I did. <laughs> yes, right. So, so that's, uh, that's something that, uh, from a regulatory perspective, is, is looking to change 
uh, and we think that'll improve uh, the office and, and are is there a push to change those regulations then? Yes, yeah, so that's that's under discussion, for example, in New York, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that uh, we're hearing in several other markets. So talking about very much the here and now, we've seen a sudden recent surge in long-term interest rates and mortgage rates. In fact, we've got now the highest 30-year fixed rate mortgage that we've seen in over 20 years. How's that affecting your perspective of real estate at this, at this point? All right, so uh, we actually uh, see the rise in interest rates as creating a, a, a bit of a benefit in the market in as much as it took the froth out uh, of commercial property pricing that we were seeing uh, in 2021 and, as I mentioned, uh, early, early 2022. So, so right now, if you have dry powder to put to work, you're able to, to buy properties that have been reset to this lower, lower price. You can't lever uh, in, a, in a cheap way, but, but we do like uh, the idea of putting money to work with cheap properties as opposed to expensive properties and, mm -hmm. and cheap debt. So interestingly, uh, single-family homes have fallen generally in price by less than commercial properties. So mm -hmm. commercial properties have been more affected by the rise in mortgage interest rates than, than uh, single-family homes from what we observe. Interesting, of course, there, there are supply issues. In fact, if you look at the whole uh, residential side, uh, you know, I've noticed some very different trends in terms of multifamily and single-family units. Can you talk a little bit to that? Sure. So, uh, on the on the multifamily side, we saw this deceleration that I that I uh, mentioned. Uh, and if you look at the way uh, residents are behaving in in this environment, they're they're doubling up roommate situations and and sort of conserving uh, money by by renting fewer fewer spaces. The the market is still tight. Uh, we think as the economy reaccelerates later, rent growth will will reaccelerate. But the apartment market, as I said, uh, has seen rent growth fall fall to zero. We've seen on the single family side. Uh, this uh, terrific challenge with relatively sticky home prices and these incredibly high interest rates making single-family home purchases extremely expensive. So it's forced families, who are not typically doubling up as roommate situations, forced families to, uh, to rent more, more single-family homes. So we've seen extraordinary growth in that. And in fact, rent growth in that space is running 8 to 10 percent. So that's a business we've been in, in uh, a lot of J.P. Morgan Investment Management. And uh, one uh, way, uh, or really the only way we've approached it, is to build new stuff. So we're never bidding against single family, against families who are looking to buy single mm -hmm. family homes. We're always building new product. It's both easier to operate, but we're not competing against families looking to buy houses. And of course, I, you know, I, I appreciate that, that we're building new stuff and adding to the, to the stock. But there is also a really interesting dynamic by which people really can't sell their home because, because uh, you know, mortgages are not assumable, so they, they can't uh, really take their, their mortgage to a new property. But I suppose you could rent out the home and uh, you know, I think you, I think everybody needs to be a little bit more flexible in mm -hmm. finding ha housing solutions here. Um, looking forward and sort of thinking big picture, we've been talking a lot about artificial intelligence uh, this year, and it, it's sort of the buzzword I know in, in in the stock market. But it really does have significant implications for all sectors of the economy. H how do you see it affecting real estate? 
Well, so there, there's been a lot of uh, news about how data centers are going to benefit from this in, in the real estate space. And, and just to step back a little bit, uh, for several years, data centers actually were, were seeing uh, falling rents. And that was really due to significant uh, additions to supply and actually very uh, rapid uh, technological changes that made it much cheaper to... Uh, to have high data th throughput in these in these centers, about two years ago, uh, electric utilities uh, started to say, "Wait a minute, we can't deliver as much electricity to these centers as we could before," and that really stopped a lot of the development we were seeing at that mm -hmm. point. And so, owners of a, existing uh, data centers were enjoying very strong uh, rent growth because there was almost mm -hmm. no su new supply. Uh, what we've seen recently is that the, the supply has picked up again. The electric utilities have have uh, have started to deliver the electricity, and the enormous gain uh, in sales that Nvidia just reported we see as evidence actually of supply really picking up quickly. Uh, those chips mm -hmm. are all being used in new data centers. So ironically, it, it feels like a very hot market, but actually if you're an owner of existing data centers, you're seeing more supply, which is where all those NVIDIA chips mm -hmm. are going. So whether or not all the new AI use fills and utilizes that, those data centers uh, is you know, to be seen, but for now there's a, a rapid increase in data center supply. So it's a, I mean, it's the sort of area of real estate where, you know, a generation ago, people wouldn't even know what you were talking about to right. talk, talk about this kind of real estate. What other opportunities are you seeing um, in, you know, in sort of the evolution of, of commercial real estate? Right. So practically speaking, right now, we have a capital markets environment that is, that is challenging uh, for many existing property owners and folks who want to buy commercial properties. And so as a consequence, uh, we are actually able to lend uh, mezzanine debt uh, very profitably. Uh, so uh, that business uh, really involves uh, taking the, the, call it the 50 to 60 percent LTV slice uh, for, for a capital stack where the 0 to 50 percent slice is lent by, say, a regional bank, if okay. it can still lend, or, or some other lender. Those lenders don't want to take the risk of that last 50 to 60 slice. We're able to lend on properties that we would actually love to have as equity in our portfolios. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of a win-win for us. If, if We do believe they'll pay off, and that'll earn us a good return. But if they don't pay off, we get to take the property and have it in our portfolio. So we believe in it, but we can't really take an equity stake, so we'd like to take a, a high-yielding uh, uh, lending stake in this. Right, basically. right. We also, we also like building single-family rentals, so as uh, I mentioned that before. And another space uh, we like are last-mile uh, retail, last-mile mm -hmm. uh, last services-oriented retail. Sure. We're seeing terrific growth uh, in tenant demand in that space, and that's coming from Americans shifting their their spending patterns, and they're doing this kind of structurally and cyclically from buying a lot of goods to buying more services. So restaurants, uh, we're actually seeing more medical services showing mm -hmm. up in these various types of, of sort of health club, club kind of concepts, 
big increases in veterinary bills, uh, for example, veterinary spending. Yeah. So that's that's been a big driver to absorption in these centers. We like those in relatively dense, prosperous communities. Just following changing consumer behavior, or trying to predict changing consumer behavior. Um, so you mentioned regional banks briefly there, uh, but I, I'm afraid we, it's kind of the elephant in the room here because we, you know, obviously you look at the balance sheets, regional banks have got a lot more exposure to commercial real estate than the biggest banks in this country. Um, how do you feel about that right now after what we saw this winter? Sure. So, uh, so yeah, with their deposits leaving, uh, this, they're, they're, uh, they have a certain capital challenges, uh, and and they have these large books of commercial real estate, and they have been important lenders in this space. Uh, certainly not an expert in, in banking, but one thing we are observing from where we sit is uh, that they are extending loans uh, backed by uh, office buildings. So, so their inflows from mortgage payments are likely slowing broadly. So that does slow their lending. And I think it hurts their capital position. From us in commercial real estate, you know, as we think about capital being uh, supplied to the space, uh, I, I would characterize the environment, for example, as much different from what we saw in 2009 in the global financial mm -hmm. crisis, and that that was kind of a systematic wide credit crunch. This is more narrowly defined to one type of credit supplier. Mm -hmm. We also have CMBS. <clears throat> we have. Uh, we have insurance companies who are able to supply capital, and they're actually able to step up and supply more capital to, to the real estate space as the market starts to improve. So, so the, the regional bank issue may linger, but there'll be other capital sources for us in commercial real estate. So it's still, it's still a macro issue, but not necessarily as, as much of an issue for commercial real estate. I think so. Thinking about portfolios, investors often allocate to real estate because it's an inflation hedge, it provides income. Now yields on um, high-quality fixed income are extremely high because of what the Fed's been doing, and inflation's been coming down, uh, although the Fed doesn't seem to quite notice that uh, as much as I do. Uh, but in that kind of environment, do you think real estate still has a, a place in a portfolio? Yes, I think so. And if, if uh, we may pat ourselves on the back, uh, on part of that, the inflation hedge bit, uh, during uh, 2021 and early 2022, mm -hmm. as inflation was accelerating, uh, commercial property prices were rising very sharply too, as were rents. In mm -hmm. fact, rents in, in uh, multifamily assets were a big driver to the yeah. to the inflation uh, challenges. And so, real estate did what it was supposed to do, and that is act like an inflation hedge. And so, the question is now with our with our yields where they are, and the Fed doing what it's doing, is does does real estate still have a place uh, in this environment? And I do think it's important to still think of real estate as a total return mm -hmm. uh, investment. So uh, we are seeing, given the repricing in the market, uh, total returns, total underwriting returns in commercial real estate at a fairly large spread to investment grade mm -hmm. uh, bonds. So, so we still like, or we actually really like where it is today, even on an unlevered basis. And as time goes on and interest rates start to fall, we see an opportunity opportunistically to lever these properties, even if we do them on an unlevered basis today. Finally, for those who are thinking about adding real estate to a portfolio, I think you know, you've made a good case for why it needs to be in there. For, particularly for larger investors, but what do you think about uh, REITs versus more direct-owned real estate? Right. So you know, I, I think REITs uh, get some guff 
from uh, observers due to their volatility. And that, that can be driven a lot by the fact that a large share of uh, REIT shares are owned by so-called yield chasers and, and investors who are, if you will, chasing narratives. Uh, for example, you know, retail is good today and it's you know, bad tomorrow and, mm -hmm. and, and back and forth. Uh, but the truth of the matter is uh, REITs uh, or the REIT industry has some of the best operators in the entire real, real estate industry. Publicly traded REITs, uh, for example, uh, in the data center space are some of the best operators. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're looking to sort of play that angle with AI right now, that's, that's something to consider. And I would say, too, uh, in, in the tower space, so the absolute dominant players in uh, the 5G tower space mm -hmm. are, are in the publicly traded REIT market. So we, we do think it makes sense for most real estate investors to allocate to direct properties as well as publicly traded REITs. This has been fascinating, Dave. Thank you very much for joining us. On our next episode of this summer series, I'll be joined by Mike Faroli, Chief U.S. Economist at J.P. Morgan for a conversation on the U.S. economy. Thank you all for listening and speak with you soon. This content is intended for information only based on assumptions in current market conditions and are subject to change. No warranty of accuracy is given. This content does not contain sufficient information to support investment decisions. It is not to be construed as research, legal, regulatory, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Investments involve risks. Investors should seek professional advice or make an independent evaluation before investing. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate, including loss of capital. Past performance and yield are not indicative of current or future results. Forecasts and estimates may or may not come to pass. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide.